think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, on a head to head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 343 of Low Limit Football on this 5th of December, 2021. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, the MLS Cup Finals is set. We're going to let you know who's in and even make our predictions on the winner. Match Day 6 of Champions League is set to kick off this week. We're going to discuss who can still get in to the knockout stages. Lionel Messi wins his 7th Ballon d'Or, but teammate Neymar is out for the rest of 2021. We're going to discuss his injury and much, much more with our very special guest, Dr. Raj Palbrar from CB3, uh, 3CB Performance and the Skill Science Podcast will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas, and be the first to wish him an early happy birthday, my friend. Happy birthday tomorrow. Thank you so much, Joe. I mean, I feel old, like I always say every year. <laughs> <laughs> you're old. You're not as old as I feel, my friend. Trust me on that one. Um, and we and we've got you know, looking back on the injury discussion we just had with Doctor Barr, uh, it's it's you know those injuries. It, it, you're at an age where you can still recover from them. Uh, me, not so much. My I, I jammed my thumb in my soccer game playing goal a couple weeks ago, and it is still like. 30% bigger than the normal size. So um, healing is a little bit tougher when you get older, but but definitely a very happy birthday um, and all the best to you, my friend. So um, let's let's jump into it because we had a great guest. We were able to be joined earlier by Dr. Rajpal Brar from uh, uh, 3CB Performance and the Skill Science Podcast who went down some great roads of explaining many of the various injuries that we're seeing out there. Uh, the Neymar injury, uh, Christian Pulisic's process, uh, you know, Sergio Roberto's surgery. We've, we've had so much um, that we got to discuss with him, and we definitely want to get that to you right away. So, but first, let's go into opening thoughts. We're going to skip trivia this week, too, folks, as uh, we only have one more show after this one for the 2021 year, which is amazingly uh, running out of time soon. But so, we're going to jump into our opening thoughts right off the bat here and get into Champions League as we approach match day six, the the do or die week, uh, as it would be for some of these teams trying to get into the knockout stages. As we stand right now into the round of 16, Ajax, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Inter, Juventus, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, 
Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, and Sporting Lisbon are all into the uh, knockout stages or round of 16. The teams that can still make it in. AC Milan, Atalanta, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, amazing to hear that name on the list, Benfica, Lille, Porto, Salzburg, Sevilla, Villarreal, and Wolfsburg. Let's take them, my friend, uh, group by group. Uh, Group A, very easy. Manchester City on 12 points, PSG on 8, Club Brugge on 4, Leipzig on 4. City and PSG are through as they are. Leipzig and Brugge are going to fight it out for that last spot to the Europa League. Group B gets a little tricky. Uh, Liverpool are through at the moment on 15 points. Porto in second place on five points, along with AC Milan on four and Atleti on four. One of those teams is not going to the next round of the world uh, of the uh, Champions League in terms of Porto, AC Milan, and Atletico Madrid. And we, you know, we're going to combine this as a match of the week coming up. Uh, we have on the sixth, which is going to be, uh, I'm sorry, um, actually, yeah, 12 six. We are we're looking at a matches coming up this week. With um, with uh, Porto is going to take on Atleti- Atletico Madrid and AC Milan um, are going to be at home to Liverpool. How do you see this playing out? Who do you think this, the team is going to be that's going to go through? I mean, Atleti have, have not looked good in this competition. They're going to have to go into Portugal to face Porto. Uh, but AC Milan get to play at the San Siro, but it's Liverpool. Liverpool that doesn't have anything to play for other than a perfect record in the, in the group stages. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it's a tight one for the ones at the bottom. I think certainly for Atleti, this is the must win. I think certainly a win for them would put them obviously into the round of 16. Um, And it kind of suits them better because Milan, you know, obviously are going to host a Liverpool side that are playing out of their minds at the moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, unbeaten record so far, five wins out of their five games. Um, I guess they want to keep that perfect record. uh, But I think Milan also are coming in with this kind of situation and you know we're going to talk about some of the injuries that they had but it's it's really is going to be a tough one i i think, I think at, just because no go ahead sorry. i'm sorry i was gonna say i think atleti go through in this one i think ultimately yeah me too. Short, i was about to say yeah, yeah. I, I think because of the game that they're at and because of the scenarios that the other teams are in it favors atleti more than anything yeah and i think also you know when you look at it from the milan standpoint uh you know their first place right now in the city ah uh, a Serie A race that is going to be very, very difficult, even though, like you said, we're going to talk about the injuries. Uh, Napoli have suffered quite a bit in, in allowing uh, other other teams, including Atalanta, that we're going to talk about in a minute, to catch up. So I, I think, yeah, I think Milan is probably going to be out of this one. They're going to focus probably more on the Serie A. Um, I think Porto and Atleti is going to be a fantastic matchup, but obviously as, if we're both predicting Atleti to move through in the group stage, it means Porto's going to lose. Um they have to, they would have to work out that way. So from that standpoint, um, you think uh, you think Atleti go through as the uh, runners up, and you think Porto go to the Europa League, and I think Milan finishes fourth. Correct? Yes. Yeah, That's I agree. Exactly how it works. I agree. Let's let's move on to Group C quickly. Ajax uh, on fifteen points. Then we have Sporting on nine, Dortmund on six, Besiktas on zero. This one, this group is done and dusted. Uh, Ajax are going through as the group winners. Sporting are through as the runners up. Dortmund is going to finish third and go to the Europa League, and Besiktas fourth. Not much to talk about there. On the four, on the Group D, Real Madrid on twelve points, Inter on ten, Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sheriff Tiraspol on six points, and then Shakhtar Donetsk on one point. Madrid are already through, um, and they're going to finish as group winners if they don't lose to Inter. Uh, if Inter going to go through already as well, and they will take top spot if they beat Real Madrid. So that Inter-Real Madrid matchup, I believe, I want to say, is in um, is in Madrid. Yes, it is in the Bernabeu. Uh, how do you see that one going? 
Well, first I want to mention, credit mm. to Sheriff, actually. Yes. Credit to Sheriff yes. now being in this position. And I think the wins and the draw um, against Real Madrid, well, actually, you know, the, the win against Shakhtar, the draw against Inter, and the win against Real Madrid really helped them get into situ- into the situation. So congrats to them for making it. In terms of Real Madrid and Inter, I mean, yeah, I, I you kind of have to factor Real Madrid. I think, yes, they don't have Benzema at the moment, but... I think when you have someone like Vinicius, who's also been one of those key factors up front, you know, he's going to be the one that Inter have to keep their eye on. But, mm. I, I mean, even a, Inter have to go out and win. And, you know, Real Madrid have a good record at home, typically, at the... Um, at the... Um, at the Bernabeu. At the Santiago Bernabeu. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, obviously we saw the, the shock win for, for Sheriff. But outside of that, uh, Inter really are in a situation where they need to win. So I think this paper's more Real Madrid, and I see them winning the group in this one yeah match on tuesday and I, I do believe as well i think i think at best this probably ends up being a 1-1 draw um but i but i do think that madrid do what they need to do uh win or draw to move through uh, and enter finishes runners up and uh and gonna take the tough road uh, in the round of 16 let's go to group e because this one's i mean this one gets as interesting as they get bayern munich on 15 points barca on seven points we have uh benfica on five and we have dinamo kiev on one Barcelona are going to have to go to Bayern Munich on Wednesday and get some type of result or hope that Benfica at home does not get a result against Dinamo Kiev to move through to the round of 16. Massive, massive um, concerns here. Obviously, you know, new head coach and Javi coming in, uh, dealing with Sergio Roberto's injury that we're going to talk about in a little bit. There's there's so much going on for Barca. I mean, it wouldn't shock you. They've only scored two goals right now in the group stages. This really wouldn't shock you if, if Benfica go through as the runners-up and Barca go to the uh, Europa. It wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, you know, you're, you're basically expecting that Benfica at home have to not beat uh, Dinamo Kiev um, because even a draw would do Barcelona justice even if they do lose. Um, and it's going to be tough. But um, and, and to be fair, Benfica kind of were almost in the situation. If you remember the sitter that, that he missed, that the team missed in the game at the Camp Nou a couple of weeks ago, that could have sealed the deal right there. Mm-hmm. The fact that Barcelona are still alive in this fight shows how very fortunate they are. But again, yeah, I, gun to my head, I think I do see Barcelona in the Europa League, and and yeah. and rightly so. I, I, I think. It saves them from embarrassment going into the round of 16. I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, the only hope that right now Barcelona have to hang their hats on is the fact that Dinamo Kiev, in their only point so far in the group stages, is a home nil-nil draw to to uh, Benfica. Otherwise, they've lost every single match. They've only scored one goal. I mean, the, the, the writing on the wall here is that Benfica is going to win this game. And I, and I think they will. Uh, I think it's going to be 2-0. It might be 3-0. And, and I don't see... Barcelona, um, even, you know, they're going to Bayern, to Munich to to try and get a result, a real result. I just don't see it happening. Even, I, I don't think Bayern lets their foot off the gas here. And I think uh, I think it's Bayern and Benfica in second and Barca to Europa, like you said. So um, Unbelievable. Yeah, that's crazy. But let's move on to Group H. I'm sorry, Group F. And we have Manchester United have already qualified uh, as the group winners. Uh, but the battle here, I mean, really, there's really one match to talk about here. Villarreal Atalanta. This one, I believe, is going to be in Bergamo, if I remember correctly. Uh, it is in Bergamo. Yes. Um, coming up on, I believe, Tuesday as well. Let me just double check my notes here. Uh, Wednesday. It is Wednesday. Yes, it is right there. I see it. Um, so, Atalanta Villarreal. This is a team. They, if I remember correctly, it was a two-two draw. Atalanta have scored ten goals. Uh, certainly one of the higher numbers, uh, and I haven't looked where that ranks, but they've conceded ten. 
but again, they're home to Bergamo. They're actually playing well in the Serie A. They just came off a win um, over the weekend. I, I see Atalanta winning this match and going through as the runners-up. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a must-win for them. I think certainly, you know, I think Villarreal are really been a, a team that has been interesting so far, I think, in this Champions League. I think, you know, even in the position that they're in under Unai Emery in La Liga, I think, um, you know, it, it doesn't correlate to how they are in the Champions League. But, yeah, I think Atalanta are going into this situation with the must-win. I can see them qualifying, and I do see them qualifying uh, to the round of 16. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a great match to watch on this week. Group G. Uh, and this is, you know, the group of life and everyone is still alive. Everyone is still alive in this group. Lil on eight points, leading the leading the way. Salzburg on seven, Sevilla on six, Wolfsburg on five. Lil have to play. I believe they go to Wolfsburg, if I remember correctly. Correct. Just check my notes here. And Salzburg yes. uh, is going to be at home to Sevilla. You know, I gun to my head. I have no idea where this one's going to go. Uh, you know, Lille is the best defensive team in the group. They've only conceded three goals in five matches. Um, Wolfsburg, the worst defensive side. They've conceded seven. Uh, you know, you've got to see, you've got to be able to see, I think, I think Lille can easily pull a draw, which would give them nine points. Then you're hoping for a result in the Salzburg-Sevilla match. You're, you're hoping, I mean, even a draw wouldn't matter, but as long as Lille can draw Wolfsburg, that will send them through to the next round. I mean, if you had to pick two teams out of this group, who goes through? It's tough as well. I mean, well, it would be surprising if you go transfer to the Europa League and win it again. So yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, uh, and they have to go to Salzburg there to play. So the highest scoring team in the group. Mm-hmm. Oh man. You know, I'm going to give it to Sevilla, and I think I think I'm going to yeah, take Lil to do the work. I, I, th- I think so too. Yeah, I. Because even a draw would be enough as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, no, it wouldn't because Alvaro no. would qualify. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I say Lil and Sevilla. Yeah, I, I think that's how it's going to work. But I, it's, boy, I, I'll tell you that there's there's no shocking me out of this group. I, I'll be honest with you. Two yeah, teams yeah, are going to go Wolfsburg through. Wolfsburg are going to win as if, if, if Wolfsburg win the group. <laughs> Imagine it, that. <laughs> been a great great group to watch and you know fantastic stuff. The last group, Group H, Chelsea and Juve tied at the top on twelve points. Zenit on four, Malmo on one. Juve have to win, um, win and hope for a Chelsea draw. Chelsea draw to uh, move through as group winners. Um, Chelsea just have to win um, or draw and hope for a Juve draw or loss. Otherwise, there's nothing going on. Juve are going to have the easier road. They're going to be at home to Malmo in this one. Um, Chelsea are going to be on the road to Zenit. They're going to have to go to Russia for that one. I see Chelsea winning the group and Juve uh, finishing second and, and, you know, obviously suffering the big loss in this group uh, 4-0 to Chelsea really just did them in at this point. And I don't see Juventus with a couple of injuries that they have. I don't see them, you know, being able to uh, win and then hope for Chelsea. Do you know what I mean? I, I think I think it's just it's set in stone. Chelsea are through as group winners. Juve second. What are your thoughts? Yeah, even though Chelsea have been a bit sketchy and a bit lackluster during the last week or so, I think that result at Stamford Bridge uh, against Juventus really sealed the deal. And yeah. I think, yeah, I think Chelsea, rightly so, European champions, will win this group. And I think Juventus will finish second. That group, uh, the, the group stages will conclude this week. Those matches uh, in that group are going to be on Wednesday as well. And uh, and then we'll have 16 teams. We'll have a draw. And when we come back in uh, in a couple weeks, we'll let you know the matchups and uh, what we think of them. So, 
Let's table this Champions League discussion for now because we were lucky, like I had said earlier, that we had Dr. Rajpal Brar from uh, 3CB Performance and the Skill Science Podcast to join us. Talk about some of the injuries that we've seen. Uh, The Neymar injury certainly the biggest one with PSG trying to move forward uh, in Champions League and also trying to stave off the competition in Ligue 1. Um, a big one there, Kareem Benzema, uh, who was you know highly rated for the Ballon d'Or, is also out with injury. We talked about that. Simon Kier at AC Milan, who suffered a big ACL tear. We're going to talk about that injury as well, and, and many others, and, and also the healing process and the concerns of, of these players not getting any rest and playing so much. So without further ado, the Dr. Rajpal Brar interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from 3CB Performance and the Skill Science Podcast, Dr. Rajpal Brar. Dr. Brar, thanks for joining us. Really excited to have you on the show here this evening. I want to open with a generalized question. Uh, when I look at the schedule of these players going into the 2022 World Cup, even though it's a year away, these players really won't have much of a break. We're, we don't see much of a, of a winter break for these players. We normally get a summer break uh, with the international window, but this year we're going to still see World Cup qualifying going into that and then a winter World Cup. What kind of in, what kind of injuries do you anticipate, especially the overuse injuries? What kind of things do you think we'll see in many of these players leading into and through that World Cup in 2022? Yeah, I think, I mean, the main thing you're looking at is going to be some of those, those muscular injuries, the soft tissue injuries which come from, like you said, the overuse and the overload, which are the most common, right? You're going to see a lot of hamstring injuries, adductor groin injuries, uh, quad injuries, calf injuries tend to be some of the highest that you see um, generally. And then also and something that we don't consider is that when you're fatigued, you also tend to maybe you know, go into certain challenges that you wouldn't have before, leading to some of those contact injuries as well, right? And so that can be a concern. Also, as we know, something called you know neuromuscular fatigue, which can lead to some of those ligament injuries when it comes to non-contact injuries or uh, you know ankle injuries as well. So pretty much <laughs> the the gamut, you know, full gamut of, of injuries when you have players who are tired and who are playing more games in less time, and they're playing also in higher intensity games, to international matches especially for a World Cup qualifying tend to be higher intensity. Of course, World Cup matches tend to be higher intensity as well. And we, we've seen some of the protocols now in terms of, I think players only have like a week off after World Cup before they go back into their lead session. So uh, there's going to be just a lot of overuse injuries in general. Doctor, I, I I know we're still like a month, uh, literally a year away from this World Cup, and obviously we still have a lot of teams left to qualify. But some of the teams that we already see already uh, have qualified are the likes of Germany, Brazil, France, England, Argentina, the main powerhouses, you would say. Going back into that, and you know, me and Joe have really had this discussion for for quite some time about how this World Cup might be different because of the way that it's played, because of how many. Um, you know, intense games that, you know, players from these countries are are playing in. I mean, do you see a really a, a hypothetical situation where maybe some of these teams that are considered favorites might not demonstrate their full force? Or do you feel that, you know, because the game has evolved so much and that fitness treatments and, and to get at the best shape possible for these tournaments have been so much better that that won't be the case? I mean, I, I think over the summer, for, over the summer at least, you're going to see definitely some more rotation for players, especially coming off their league seasons to give them some of that normal 
rest period they might have in preparation for that December World Cup because you still do need some breaks from football to help and but and even then you need reintegration like in terms of you know fitness after those breaks rather than just constantly playing playing football so I think definitely think you're going to see some of those teams take advantage of that to get their players that requisite rest and absolutely, and looking at the, one of the players that will be indeed rested in the next few weeks is Neymar, who is obviously out with injury, uh, with a, a sprained ankle. And, you know, obviously this is a big loss for, for PSG, as we kind of did see that in how late they left it in in their game in Liga. What are the updates on Neymar's injury? And, you know, I, I think for a player like Neymar, who is, you know, impressive on his day, I think has been so fantastically important for PSG and even for Brazil as well. But that's always been the issue, I think, in his his PSG career, that he's always been injured. He's always had something happen to him. Not all the time, but a majority of the time at his PSG uh, tenure there and where he, he misses key matches. I mean, is this something that for maybe a player like him, who obviously is going to turn 30 in a couple of months, might reach his limits? And or, or do you feel that, you know, that's not the case and that he'll be back stronger than ever? I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever back stronger than ever after injuries. I think in this case with Neymar, a lot of his injuries are are contact-based injuries. He's had some soft tissue, like overwork injuries, whether that's, you know, adductors and such like that. But like this ankle injury, right, it's, it's, it's a contact injury. And that's, those become, they're more difficult to avoid, especially for a player like Neymar, who is more on the ball and, you know, frankly, takes a lot more some of those, some of those um, those challenges come in harder and faster at him because opponents know, you know, sometimes you he's trying to send that message a few times. So I think it definitely it becomes cumulative for a player like that. And I think he's even touched on just the mental burden of some of those injuries and you know having that weight on his shoulders to carry Brazil and PSG to an extent, lesser extent now with you know with Messi there uh, potentially, but. I think it definitely is cumulative and it wears on you. And the biggest thing with Neymar, with his ankle injury, you know, they believe six to eight week return timeline, likely a grade three full rupture of one, maybe two ligaments. But, you know, typically you can return pretty well from these injuries. But the issue becomes when you're out for six to eight weeks, especially with a lower body injury, it's hard to maintain your fitness levels, especially when it comes to running. And then so when you're reintegrating back into return to play, you're now at more risk for picking up a soft tissue injury along the way. Yeah, and that's that's a really interesting case that you have there uh, to speak about it. And, you know, going into my next question, I, I really wanted to really, because I'm really interested about this, talk about how you look at the current state of how players are playing the game, how their fitness levels have changed in over the, I would say, last 10, 15 years. I mean, we see players, you know, even at the at the highest level, like someone like maybe Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, that don't get as injured as possible because they have such a good tolerance when it comes to not dealing with it. But you do see those issues of players like, you know, Usman Dembele, who always gets injured a lot, and obviously Neymar, another one. But how have you seen the evolution of, of just fitness and, and recovering from injury and, and just the way that the sport has been in the last, I would say, 10, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what I see is, is just a considerable increase in terms of the knowledge base of what uh, we need to do in terms of recovery, in terms of treatment, 
in terms of strength and conditioning, um, all those things, you know, the, the, the knowledge base is expanding so much. And so a lot of times, you know, we're moving away from just, I think in football and soccer in general, there used to be, there used to be almost like not a stigma, but where it was like, you know, working out was like kind of make you worse. There was, I, I've heard this so many times and we've definitely done away with that in, in, in terms of, we just know how much strength and conditioning can add to your game and how much more resilient and preventative it, it can be in that regard. So I think what you're really seeing, and I think Cristiano and Messi really summed this up and they're ahead of the curve is that, there are players who show when you're committed and disciplined from day one, not only is it going to pay off for you in the short term, but really where you see it pay off is in that long term. And there's other examples. Latan is like that. You can look at Modric to an extent, Tony Cruz to a different extent. So you, I think we're really seeing how the, the long term cumulative effects of taking care of yourself in all facets, even nutrition, we didn't really mention either. Uh, we're really seeing how cumulative it can be in um, just making you a better player. Another, I'll give you another example. Like Renan Jacra was supposed to be out for four months. He's now potentially playing tomorrow in just three months after a full MCL rupture, and he had some fractures too. So, And he's one of those players who really takes care of himself in all facets as well. Now, Dr. Bro, I want to jump in here quick because I want to. I'm actually going to go back into Granite Jacca in a moment with his MCL. Um, but I want to discuss Christian Pulisic. Uh, and somebody that's coming back from injury, you had a great tweet. And by the way, for our listeners, if you ever want to dive deep into a Twitter feed, your your feed is definitely one of them <laughs> because there have been some, so many great diagrams and so many great explanations of different injuries of players. Um, but one of the posts that you had the other day about Christian Pulisic was about a pain versus it wasn't so much for him about pain versus no pain so much that it was about uh, the threshold of pain, allowing him to come back and how quickly and, and how deep he can come back can you go a little deeper into the listeners about what maybe he's describing as from a physio point of view and uh and what we're kind of looking for from a player as they return to full fitness yeah sure i mean this is something i talk about i talk about with players you know patients clients all the time it's that it's not as simple it's not as simple as binary as if you have pain it's bad if you don't have pain it's great i mean if you don't have pain it's great but when you're returning from injury you're gonna have some discomfort it's all about it's all about understanding uh three things to me it's the extent of the pain the duration how long is it lasting and then the overall trend line is it going up or down over the last whatever five to seven days and so that's really you want really what you, what you want to look at because naturally as you get back to play after these layoffs you're going to have certain responses and certain reactions. It's almost like, you know, work, having a, having a hard workout and you're going to, your body's going to, you know, have some feedback for you. You have to, you have to be able to understand that feedback within the lens of what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. So getting back into the structural uh, stuff, like I said, with Granite Jaka and the MCL, I wanted to bring up Milan's uh, AC Milan's Simon Kiar, and he suffered mm-hmm. a, a pretty big injury, an MCL slash uh, ACL slash MCL tear. Um, what would many would consider, and we I don't know if he had meniscus involvement or not, but what many consider or call the unhappy triad injury. 
Um, can we go into that type of injury, especially for a soccer player? And when you relay it to Granite Xhaka in terms of the MCL, one part of your tweet on Simon Kerr was that um, the repair of his MCL can be uh, it can be repaired effectively because of blood flow. Um, I'd like you to describe to our listeners what that means in terms of ACL versus MCL reconstruction and and, and what it means for the overall healing and of the injury. Sure. So, in order for something to heal or to heal better, it needs blood flow. That's what brings in some of those uh, nutrients and et cetera, et cetera. I won't get too much in the physiology behind it, but brings in some of the elements required for the anatomy to heal. So when you have an area that's very well vascularized and it has really good blood flow, it's going to heal better without external repair needed. So the MCL, the medial uh, collateral ligament, has very, very good blood supply and therefore it can heal well. So when you do repair it, uh, it, can, it can heal better in that regard. Whereas with an ACL, it doesn't have that good blood flow. So you have to then replace the entire structure with a new ligament. And that's what I mean by uh, mm-hmm. differences in blood flow. So from my experience, because I've had an ACL tear from, from playing soccer, uh, when my uh-huh. options were presented, and, and historically, there, there are really three options to replace that ACL ligament. The first is the patellar tendon graft, which is they cut a piece uh-huh. of your kneecap, the piece of the tibial tuberosity from your tibia, and the subsequent tendon, and they insert it. Uh, the second option is a hamstring graft, where they take a piece of your hamstring mm-hmm. and insert it. And then the third, obviously, is cadaver, uh, where they take somebody else's structure to uh, put into you. In your opinion, which, if, if I'm a professional footballer, which... Which repair are you choosing and why? Or is there even a different repair that might be a better option for them? So typically, uh, from the research I've seen, is that it's usually it's typically between your own, between your hamstring or your patellar tendon. And then there's really no definitive. Uh, with the patellar tendon graft, you can have a little bit more knee pain. With the hamstring graft, it can sometimes reduce some of your overall hamstring strength. Uh, it could be insignificant, though. So at that point, between those two, I haven't seen anything definitive either way. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know if there are certain are, are they choosing, you know, professional footballers, are they choosing one or the other these days? Do you have any information on that? I want to say, I mean, I, I've heard so many different things. I believe it's more patellar tendon right now. Okay. But it also just comes, it also just comes down to, honestly, like there are certain surgeons who are known for it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of players go to them just because referral. And if that surgeon prefers it, then those become more prevalent, right? right? And right. so it may or may not be where actually the football, you know, footballers are choosing it. They're just going to specific surgeons who already use that technique. Got it. Uh, that's interesting. That's an interesting point. Um, I, I, let's stick with the hamstring, I guess, because we had a couple of famous hamstrings here uh, in the recent week. And uh, the two that I'm looking mm-hmm. at are Karim Benzema at Real Madrid tearing a hamstring. And Kalido Koulibaly at uh, Napoli ter- tearing his. Uh, Koulibaly's was listed as a grade two hamstring. I'm not sure about yep. Benzema's, um, but what are the kind grade of... Grade pit- one, I believe. Grade one? Okay, so what are the, yeah. the pitfalls of healing these injuries, and what do you expect out of these players as they return back to play? So, I mean, the biggest pitfall with, with healing hamstrings in general is that there's such high demand placed on them in football, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's kicking, whether it's, you know, acceleration, especially during de- deceleration during running... Um, when you're kicking, it's a big eccentric load on them because that hamstring has to lengthen, and also when you're running as well. 
And so they're very sensitive. So the, so the biggest thing with healing these is really uh, trying to reduce the re-injury risk. Like, all, like the highest level of research shows, pretty good data shows, like 30% of footballers re-enter their hamstring within the first two weeks returning. That's a high number. And so the hardest part is how do you prepare that hamstring for the demand and intensity of the game when you can't play in games, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's really the most difficult pitfall. And then also it becomes, you know, when you have scar tissue building up, if you have multiple hamstring injuries or whatever it is, that can reduce the overall strength of that hamstring. So that's why you see guys like, let's say, Usmani Zembele, who's had multiple recurrent hamstring injuries at a certain point. Uh, it's just very, very hard to get that hamstring to the level that needs to be. Mm-hmm. Now, one more lower leg or really upper leg injury that I'd like to discuss is Sergio Roberto and his quadricep because uh, unlike Kalito Kulibaly and Karim Benzema, those were non-surgical injuries. Uh, they're really going to be rest and, 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 and treatment. Uh, but Sergio Roberto's was surgical. Can you describe his injury to us and, and what needed to be done surgically to kind of get him on the road to recovery and how long his recovery will be? Yeah, so from my understanding with Roberto, he might have had – it's hard to say. I think he, he had originally a great – he had a quadriceps upper – a quadriceps tear typically. It's, it's the uh, – they call it the, quote, rectus femoris muscle, which mm-hmm. goes across your hip and your knee. So the double load on it, it's the most commonly injured muscle for footballers. And so I believe – I think he had a grade two, which is a moderate tear, but he, he was – constantly dealing with pain and it was relapsing mean, he got re-injured and so the issue becomes at that time it's that okay if you're having this injury and you're not able to recover from it effectively is it now i mean conservative treatment has failed do you now just move on to surgical repair so actually just reattaching it and suturing it and then allowing it to heal right Mm -hmm. and so that's what they decided on um from my understanding i think i was reading about it like he talked to uh andres iniesta obviously former barcelona player who also had similar issues and that was part of his decision making process as well and that's why part of why the vector decided to go with that with that surgical repair now, Dr. Barr, this brings up a good point. It's something that I was thinking about is uh, you talked about the rectus femoris as a two-joint muscle. And I'd like to go into the concerns of healing a two-joint mu- muscle like the rectus femoris. Or when we talk about your calf muscle, we talk about the gastrocnemius as a two-joint muscle versus the soleus, which is a one-joint muscle. What are the concerns of healing a two-joint muscle versus a single-joint muscle? So, I mean, the, the main concern with a two-joint muscle that I talked about earlier is um, like with the rectus femoris, for example, like I just mentioned, is that there's a higher demand on it because you're crossing, let's say, in the rectus femoris case, the hip and the knee. So now you're involved, that that muscle is now uh, involved in both those uh, motions for the hip and the knee. So, for example, like in football, when you're kicking the ball, the hip is flexing, the knee is extending. The rectus femoris is now has that double demand on it. And that, so now when you're rehabbing, you have to prepare that muscle to be able to do that and versus a single joint muscle where you don't have to worry as much about that high level demand. Now, gastrocnemius versus soleus, that's actually an interesting example in terms of two joint versus one joint because although soleus is a one joint, it's a uh, it's, it's more of a type one fiber. But that's a whole different topic. But uh, <laughs> in general, yeah, uh, a, a type one, excuse me, type one, one joint muscle, is, it's just easier because there's less variables to worry about. 
True. I, you know, and, and I was going to say, I know we're kind of running out of time. I, I would have loved to have jumped, run into other things about like, let's say head injuries and, and brain injuries and concussion. Cause I know there's a whole world of that, that we could discuss. So maybe one of these days we'll have to have you back yeah. on the show to, to discuss concussions and treatment because that's a whole nother fascinating world. So, but before I let you go, where can everybody find your work, especially your Twitter handle? Cause like I'd mentioned earlier, it is absolutely fascinating stuff on there. Sure. So um, whether on Twitter, YouTube, uh, Patreon as well, you can find me on, at 3CB, 3 Beta Performance. I have a website as well. I, you know, I run a clinic. I run a lot of on-site, online stuff as well. You know, on Twitter, you know, make sure I love engagement, so questions, whatever it is. I love the banter back and forth as well. And I just want to say, I'll say, appreciate you guys having me on today. So thank you. Oh, we, we appreciate you coming on and taking on the time because it's been one of those windows where we've had a lot of injuries and I know we're leading into more. So again, thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, absolute pleasure. And we definitely have to have you back very, very soon. Thanks, guys. And special thanks again to Dr. Brar for joining us on the show. Mr. Rojas, uh, you know, Cerro Porteño won the Paraguayan League. I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about it because it was a wild finish, including that last goal. Yeah, it was one of the wildest finish that I've ever seen uh, in a in a league decider. So basically last night, Cerro Porteño lifted their 34th league title after drawing what I need to do to win the Clausura title. But how did it happen? Well, Basically, both teams came into the final match day, you know, with Cedro taking a two-point lead to put them top of the table. And this is because, despite that, Guarani were leading the league for like 15 of the 17 match days, Joe. Really? So think about that. Nevertheless, both these sides took against each other, and Cedro only needed a draw to be champs. It all started badly, of course, for Cedro, because even though they were away from home in a capacity crowd, they were down to 10 men with the sending off from Alan Benitez. And then Cedro, uh, Guarani took the lead from Afiovia in the 36th minute. And just as they were looking for an equalizer, early in the second half, they take a 2-0 lead. So everyone's thinking, eh, they're going to seal it. So Wani's going to win their first league title in, like, five years. Mm-hmm. So then this happened. Within the – there was confusion towards the end of the game that saw Wani send two people off, the defender Roberto Hernandez, and the goalkeeper, Gaspar Servio, which means that because um, Suarani had already did all their – substitutes in they had to put someone in you know as the rule state they put a defender Michael Casas to play makeshift goalkeeper because of this whole delay of, of figuring out how to go the referee put in 11 minutes of extra time Arita Spinola scored in the 99th minute to make it 2-1 and right there and there about maybe four or five seconds from the end of the 11 minutes of extra time Spinola whipped in across and allowed Juan Pantino to head home the goal and the equalizer to give Cerro Bordenio the title in the most dramatic way possible. So, yes, that, for me, was a crazy ending to a crazy league decider. And I'm just happy that it went <laughs> Cerro Bordenio's way. And maybe maybe your shirt brought luck, apparently, that, I, that you that you wore the other day. I wore it this week, and uh, and I won my first match in in my pool league, uh, which I, I tweeted, not I tweeted, I, I messaged you about. Um, but, I, and I said, you'll be happy to know that I won my first match in my Seto shirt. And then we turn around on the weekend and Seto wins their title. So I, I got to think it's a little bit of a karma thing, you know, a little extra luck and, um, congratulations to Seto Porteño on winning the, uh, the Paraguayan league championship. So let's, let's, let's come back to the Northern hemisphere, uh, quickly because we have our MLS cup final set. And this is kind of our, our other match of the week. 
We saw uh, yesterday the Portland Timbers finish off Real Salt Lake. Uh, Real Salt Lake were running on kind of a little bit of a Cinderella story, um, but a uh, Herrera uh, red card after yellow card accumulation in the 79th minute, followed by a Mora, well, a Mora goal in the fifth minute, but then a, a Moreno goal in the 61st minute really kind of spelled the end for uh, Real Salt Lake. They were never able to overcome the 10 men and uh, in the two-goal lead, and Portland Timber go on to win 2-0 on that one. Uh, quick little match statistics in that one. We're going to be, uh, Portland had 51% of the possession, the majority of the uh, attempts uh, and shots on goal, and, and obviously translates over into a MLS Cup final appearance for Portland and Giovanni Savaris. Who will they face? Um, just before we went to record, they're going to face uh, NYCFC. By the way, NYCFC scored all the goals in this one uh, in, uh, in Chester, Pennsylvania. As NYCFC finished the match 2-1, Callen's own goal to start off in the 63rd minute after a 0-0 first half. But uh, uh, Max Morales, 65th goal and a, and a Magno goal in the 88th minute. This is a New York City team that was missing Tati Castellanos uh, because of a red card in the, in the previous match. They're going to get him back now for the final. The match is going to be played at Providence Park, but I, I've got to tell you, for me, you know, you talk about a team of destiny. NYCFC has always had talent. And they've always been, they've always fallen short. And here, they take the last two uh, Supporter Shield winners in the Philadelphia Union from last year and NYCFC this year, and they turn it into two road victories. I'm sorry, um, New England Revolution this year. They turn it into two road victories to go to MLS Cup final. I feel like they can win the third road match, but going to Providence Park is going to be tough. What are your thoughts on MLS Cup final? Yeah, I mean, you have two sides that have always been the bridesmaid, but never the bride. Uh, two sides that have never won this competition before. And, uh, you know, I, I think I think we do have two sides that are really destined for this MLS Cup. And, that's, you know, special mention as well, we have two Paraguayans on this on both these sides, such as Medina in New York City and Christian Paredes on Portland. So mm-hmm. I have no dog in the race, but... Uh, dog in the fight, sorry. I think... Uh, I think it is New York City's time you know for some reason i have this weird feeling that they're gonna do it it's gonna be a tight one i i i would not be surprised if we see penalties in this one i think that's how close it'll be but you know based on just how good this side has been and the fact that they never gave up i'm going for nycfc in this one yeah you know i i think i think i agree with you um it is hard to go against joe savarese though he's got so much experience such a good dynamic coach uh, i'm surprised he's still at portland I'm, I'm surprised he hadn't tried to to move on to a bigger job and a Portland Timbers victory in the MLS Cup final might be the key for him to move out of MLS and maybe into a, a European position. We'll have to see, um, especially with the news that Jesse March was, March was sacked this week at RB Leipzig. He might move to, you know, there's rumors he might go to Manchester United on Ralph Ragnick's staff. There, maybe there's a spot for Gio Savary somewhere in Europe, but I think this match would go a long, long ways for him to making that jump over to a European league. Um, but I do agree. I think this one, for some reason, not not entirely about destiny, but just about feel, um, about being a, being a dog in that fight. I feel like NYCFC is a team prepared to do that. Um, their road medal has proven that. And uh, their ability to fight and win late, I, I think, has done that as well, especially winning, uh, you know, you know, winning on the road in um, in in New England. Uh, if I remember correctly, on penalties, and then going ahead and turning that around and then going to on the road again to do it again, I think is, is something magnificent. So uh, we'll have to see. Again, that match, so our quote-unquote match of the week, is going to be the MLS Cup final. It is Saturday at 3 o'clock, uh, New York City at Portland in Providence Park to take on the Portland Timbers. Jeff, definitely keep an eye out for that one. So 
My friend, I've got nothing else on the list to talk about, so uh, if you're ready, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 343 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Dr. Rajpal Brar for joining us on the show. We are off again next week, and we will be back on the weekend of December 19th for our final show of 2021. We plan to have a pretty big guest for that one. We're working on it as we speak. And, uh, and we'll definitely bring that to you in a couple of weeks. So for episode 343 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.